Hello, I'm Rob Smith and this is my new podcast, All Bases Covered. Bases standing for business, arts, science, environment and sport because, well, that covers pretty much all the bases, doesn't it? And my plan is to enjoy interesting conversations with all sorts of people. My rule of thumb being, are they interesting? Because if I find them interesting, hopefully you will too. My first guest, for instance, is Kent-based property developer Mark Quinn. His company, Quinn Estates, is at the heart of some of the biggest developments in Kent at the moment, from the uh, Newtown Studios in Ashford to the plan to create thousands of new homes in Canterbury and Hearn Bay, Gravesend, Sittingbourne, you name it. Now, obviously, being a property developer can put you in the firing line from the critics, and I do ask him about how he squares the need for new housing with the desire to protect the environment. But this chat isn't just about property development, far from it. We ramble all over the place, talking about the possible impact of Brexit and Covid on the UK, how he grew up in a caravan as his parents pursued their dream of starting their own business, and how for a few years he was one of the best skiers in Britain and actually lived and worked in the French Alps as an instructor. Well, I met up with him at his offices in Bridge, just outside of Canterbury, and of course, we observed all the proper social distancing rules. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, Mr. Quinn, the mighty Quinn. It's probably something that's followed you around from school, isn't it? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of the builders like to say that. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. There's a song that goes with it. That's the one. That's the one. You're not an Eskimo, though, are you? No, no, no. no, no. no. Um, yeah, well, first of all, how's business? Because... Um, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think business is interesting for everybody. Um, people are trying to work out what they're going to do next, um, what's going to happen next. Um, are we just going to come out of this? I don't think we are. I think there's going to be quite a significant recession mm -hmm. next year. Um, so for us, what we've been doing is ensuring that we're as tight as possible, we're ensuring that the team are working as efficiently as possible, and getting ready for opportunities because mm. out of volatility will come opportunity. Um, so we think, you know, next year there'll be a lot of sites and a lot of situations that, that happen that, you know, hopefully if we are ready and well financed, then we'll be able to take advantage of those and we'll be able to help people complete things that they're maybe not able to complete at the moment. Yeah, because an awful lot of businesses, of course, have been really struggling just to keep going at all. Yeah. So, obviously, if you're in the, the hospitality trade, and I know that the yeah. pubs, for instance, one of the I was reading that one of the sites that you're yeah, you've been looking at, you've yeah. been hoping to have a tavern on it, and yeah. at the moment you're just thinking that's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. I mean, for us, uh, you're probably going to see, we think, a 30% reduction in, in probably hotels and, and restaurants and pubs. Um, and that'll be structurally, that'll structurally take place. Mm. Um, so we think, uh, especially London. Um, so, yeah, for us, yeah. Anything like that is gone, um, and we, you know, we probably spent on that pub site. I would say more than a hundred grand in legals and in drawings and everything else. So, yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of money to lose. But at the end of the day, you just got to go right. You know, what we're going to do next? I mean, you know, somebody who grew up, you're a few years younger than me, but you, you grew up in an era where going to the pub was a normal thing. Yeah, and it's just kind of, it's just kind of gone, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrific. Um, you know, because it's it's that time for us in our industry where we meet lots of different people. Mm. You know, we used to meet our lawyer in the pub. We used to meet our ground worker in the pub. And we would get to talk to people and find out what's going on in different parts of the business. Whereas now you've got to go and you've either got to go and see them on site 
um, or you've got to do a Zoom call. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really different. And I feel really sorry um, for anybody in that kind of uh, sector. I just think it's, you know, for us, we've been very lucky as a sector, we've been allowed to work. Mm. Um, whereas they haven't, and I think it's horrific, you know, for them, I really, really feel for them. How have you coped with Zoom, the advent of the Zoom world? We, um, we've done, I mean, it, it, it's weird. Um, I've actually done, almost pr pr done a deal, which is a pretty significant deal, where we, I only met the person after probably 10 hours of Zoom calls. Right. Um, but when I met him, it felt right. And, you know, um, I got a good feeling about it, and I think he did. And we're moving forwards with that scheme. It's quite an exciting scheme. Um, but that all came out of Zoom. Um, I think it, it's going to change how we work. Because yeah. before I would probably get up to London twice a week. Now I don't have to. Um, and I think how often do I think I'll go up to London? I might go once every two weeks. I might go once a month. So I think that it's going to make a significant difference. You can do much more in a day than you could do. So as a, as a, a property developer, what do you think of London at the moment? Because there's an enormous amount of pressure of people who want to get out. Yeah. And there's an enormous amount of change going on with Brexit and going on with everything else yeah. that's been happening over the last year. Is is London's goose been cooked? I mean, you know, will people return to it next year or is it structurally not the same proposition that it was? I think you've got other things that are going to happen. I think that one, the government has said that they're looking to allow people from Hong Kong um, who are born with a certain time scale to be able to get their, their overseas passport. So I think that, you know, the numbers that you look at, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are looking and coming over, mm -hmm. okay? Um, do I think that'll work? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that um, if you look, do I think Hong Kong people will integrate into British society? Yeah, they do. Uh, most of them like to drink, most of them like to smoke, most of them like to gamble. Um, they'll probably get on They're with all fit the Irish. Right they'll get on with all the Irish. <laughs> so I think that um, I, I think that you're, that's going to be interesting. They also are used to living in high towers. Yeah. You know, far higher than ours. Um, you know, 50 stories to them is halfway up their building. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of would be interesting. I think that where the so pressure. So you're essentially saying buildings like the Shard or you know any of the, the really mega tall office buildings, they're going to become residential buildings. I think the Shard already is. So the Shard is, mo is, is if you look at it, a lot of it is residential already, mm -hmm. whether that be in a hotel form or, or actually in the form of resi. I think the Canary Wharf is where the big change is going to be. Yeah, mm -hmm. Canary Wharf is going to definitely turn into far more of a residential um, kind of centre, um, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think you know we, we see significant differences um, taking place there, really. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and hotels as well. You know, if you think that you're going to have, you know, I would say probably 30, 35 percent of the hotels in London will. will go, you know, will not be financially viable, right. they're going to turn into probably residential as well. So it's going to really fundamentally change the feeling of, of our capital city, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it's probably going to bring it back to what it was more like um, when people lived and worked in London, whereas opposed to, you know, what happens at the moment where people live outside London because it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. I also think you're going to see a correction in house prices in London. Um, you know, in the last recession, it, house prices probably doubled or trebled in London, um, sometimes quadrupled in some places. Um, in the rest of it, to give you an idea, the house price in Sevenoaks is probably only 5-10% in 10 years higher than it was in 2007. Mm -hmm. So it's hardly gone up. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say that 
same places like Deal, where we're developing, you know, house prices are, the house price increases are pretty negligible compared mm. to London. Um, so I think that London will come down a bit. Uh, I still think it'll be really expensive, mm. um, but it just won't be probably as expensive as it is now. And, and I mentioned Brexit. Obviously, we're, we're still waiting to, <laughs> to see what's going to happen at the moment. We're talking on the Monday before, well, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But yeah. they're, they're, they're in the tunnel, as it were, at the moment. Yeah. What's your best guess on what's actually going to happen next year? I think with Brexit, I think there's gonna, it'll, it'll be a fudge. Mm -hmm. I've always thought it would be. It will have to look like each side has won. Um, in reality, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, 40,000 cars were sold to the Chinese uh, from Germany uh, last year. 400,000 were sold into Britain. Mm -hmm. So the second biggest market to Germany is China, mm -hmm. and we're 10 times bigger than that. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to basically make quite large sections of Wolfsburg, Stuttgart, unemployed, if you were going to start putting um, you know, uh, tariffs on. So mm -hmm. do I think mm -hmm. that there'll be... And the only country that I think solvent in Europe is Germany. Yeah. I don't think Italy's solvent. I don't really think France is solvent. So, and Spain definitely isn't solvent. Um, you know, if you think that 75% of its uh, GDP is based upon tourism and it hasn't been allowed to have any of that. Mm -hmm. So I think that really Germany's got, I think, control. Um, and I think that uh, there'll be a fudge. Um, I think uh, that's what will happen. Um, and it will look like they've all, I think this is all played out really. Are you, are you political in yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm political, definitely. Um, in what way? Are you party political or are you just interested in politics? I'm massively interested in politics. Um, I think that it depends on who's leading it and who's in the cabinet um, about how effective it is. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really funny because historically development companies have made more money under Labour government. Mm -hmm. You go back through the stock market, it, they rose, build companies and development companies rose during Labour, more so than the Conservative. Um, so I think that it's... You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, you think I'd probably support Labour, but for me, I went to a grammar school. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in an era where people began to think that they could achieve what, you know, they didn't, maybe my, my, yeah. my you know, past generations didn't think they could achieve. So I think that, um, you know, in terms of social mobility and in terms of uh, what I think grammar school does, I thought it was huge for me. Personally, yeah, I didn't come from a wealthy background. Well, let, let's go. Let's go back, back in time to back when you were a kid. Yeah. So, what were you like as a as a child? Tell us about your mum and dad first. So, mum and dad basically, dad was a, a carpenter and ran uh, basically uh, a shuttering uh, company. So he would shutter towers like Grenfell. Right. Okay. Uh, and he would shutter bridges across the M25. Um, so he ran a team of guys. My mum was trained up and became a matron. Um, so. She basically ran a ward um, in several hospitals throughout London. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, they moved down to Kent when I was three um, and bought a nursing home. Right. Um, St. Bart's Nursing Home in Sandwich. Uh -huh. um, and basically they couldn't afford to buy a house at the same time. So we lived in a caravan for two years. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is when you were a baby? Oh yeah. I mean, I was three years old. I remember they moved down 19th of December. Mm -hmm. Um, 1977, I think it was, and uh, yeah, um, caravan, cold, horrible caravan. So that was my. Um, that was. Can my, you remember it? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I mean, my my sister was there, my brother was there, in in the space of probably four or five square meters. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't be allowed to do it probably now, but um, 
Yeah, it was, you know, I loved it. And, you know, I, I, I admired what they did and I loved um, the way that they grew the business and became a success. And are, you, are your parents still around? My mum isn't, unfortunately. Um, my dad is, he lives with me. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad basically lives right next to me. Um, we're looking after him. Um, and he's, you know, what does he make of your success? I think, um, I don't think you can believe it. Um, if I'm being honest. Um, I think my mum managed to see, uh, you know, just when I'd made it, I got her and Bay before she went. Mm -hmm. um, and she knew about the idea that I had for the hospice as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, I think, you know, they're, they're, I think my dad's proud. Um, I think he thinks I do it the right way. Um, and you know, that's, that's the main thing for me. Because that, really. that is one of the interesting things about you as a developer. So you mentioned Herne Bay and the sports hub there. Yeah. You've invested literally millions in making sure that that was finished and finished to a decent standard. Yeah. And a lot of other de developers wouldn't bother with doing that. They would do the bare minimum and, and say, well, they, you know, that's what we agreed to. That's what we agreed Being to. Being honest, I don't think anyone, could, anyone else could have got it through their board. It's not about what they want. Whereas for me, it wasn't, I didn't have a board. So mm -hmm. my choice was, we, we, li we signed a 106 agreement, which was a legally binding document with the council at 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. um, and we ended up spending, because the council took so long, um, they originally refused us, um, because the clubs came back and said they needed more. Um, and it grew, so it grew from 11 acres to 15. And that costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, because it grew, we, we then ended up spending 6.8 million. Mm. Um, so I personally put in, you know, nearly four million pounds, essentially. So, you know, most people could probably retire on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, four so million pounds is a lot of money in anybody's yeah, book. And, you know, I, 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 I had to put that in to finish it. Yeah. But, you know, the way I look at it and is you only get one reputation. And, you know, for me, it was more important that we finished it and that we honored what we said not just in legal agreement, but mm. honoured what we said face to face. That was more important to me than being rich. And it's only really come to the, you signed it off, what, two or three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, well, it's only, it's come to light really because the sports clubs have told everyone, which is nice. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think they thought, we, you know, when we were going through it, I think, I thought, you know, probably at times they thought, but we, for us, we never entered into our head. We knew yeah. that we had to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that to me, when when you are in a few years time when that's being used by tens of thousands of kids every week i'll be able to show what the truancy levels are for those children as opposed to those children who don't use it i'll be able to see what the um what the health levels how many how much do they use the nhs who mm -hmm. use my facility don't what is the uh the offense rate the offending rate basically um uh, how much crime is committed by kids who train at my centre as opposed to kids that don't. Mm. And when you see that, I think the social impact that that creates will be worth millions and millions and millions of people. That, that's a really intensely political thing that you're talking about there. Well, I don't know if it is. I mean, to me, well, I think... Well, but that's the thing, isn't it? That's what the meat and drink of politics is, isn't it? Talking about society and life and how you should be doing things and where you invest the money to make a long-term difference. Well, I think, yeah, but when I look at that, I don't... The way I look at it is that town gave me the biggest opportunity I ever had. Mm -hmm. I have had. I'm getting my chance to make my difference. Yeah, so, you know, I've decided that no matter what anyone wants to say, I can prove that making that difference, changing those children's lives is more important to me than being rich. I can prove it because I can show you how much I had to pay and how much I paid. Uh -huh. And, you know, not many people can get those two documents out no. and prove it. I can. So. 
you know, I put my money where my mouth is. Really. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we're, we've got the pictures of you here skiing. We've got a golf club. We've got a rugby ball. <laughs> There's quite a lot of cricket, you know. You love your sport, don't you? Yeah, yeah, love it, yeah. So we'll go back to you as a kid again, because we didn't finish all that off. As a teenager, you got into skiing. Yeah, I did. Um, so when I was growing up, I went to grammar school, went to Manwoods, Sir Roger Manwoods in Sandwich, and um, brother was there. Brother was a very talented sports person, um, lots more than me. Um, so I kind of grew from being pretty small to being, you know, six foot two very quickly, uh -huh. in probably four years. He's older than you, is he? He's older, yeah, he's right, three okay. years older. But he was very high level in football, um, very high level, county level and a lot of other sports, but higher than county level at football. Mm -hmm. um, and Did he think about turning pro? <clears throat> he did, yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, I won't mind me saying this, you, you need, the biggest thing I learned is you need, you need, you need uh, self-control, you need determination, you need... You need discipline. Able, yeah, you do, you need discipline. And, and, you know, not being as good as him was really good for me because um, when I went skiing with him for the first time, I got moved up um, because I, I read about it before I went away and I went to a dry ski slope um, for two hours. But I really put some effort in and when I went out, I got moved up four classes from him. Um, so that was it. That me. must have stung. It, 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 do you know what? It didn't because he's always, <laughs> my brother's very, um, I, I think he's very, his outlook is excellent. He, yeah. He's a happy person. Um, so I think if you're naturally happy, it, it's, that's fantastic. You yeah, know? Um, yeah. There are drawbacks to it. You might not, you know, you might not be Elon Musk, but he doesn't want to be. So, no. um, so I think that, yeah, for me, it was great um, because it's the first time I'd ever beaten him or anything. Um, so, so how old were you then? I was 13. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I then got a job washing ski boots when I got back um, at the age of 14. And I, I basically then trained every night. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do my homework on the train on the way up. So where was that? That was uh, in Kent. It was, it was at Chatham. Um, oh, it was Capstan. Yeah, yeah. So I trained. I used to, I used to work there when Granada owned it. Mm -hmm. God knows what they were doing owning a ski slope, but anyway, Granada owned it, um, and I, yeah, I trained like mad there, and I got myself in the national squad um, when I was. By the time I was seventeen. Uh -huh. um, and then, then I really went for it, you know, skiing-wise, then I went out, worked in Courcheval, um, and I got myself to a really strong level. Um, you know, raced on, on, raced on the fifth circuit, um, and then basically- Did you ever feature on Ski Sunday? No, I, 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 I um, my name did, but, but they never had enough time to stick me on Aww. it. But, um, <laughs> but- uh, So I, this is in the area of what, Conrad Bartelski, that no, sort of time? I was much later. So I was even after Graham and Martin Bell. Oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah, so they, they're probably three years older. So I was then, I came after them. Um, this is probably about, I'm trying to think, 92, right. uh, around that time. And then did a lot of, I did a program called Ski Tips that was on ITV. Uh -huh. um, I was with a guy called Phil Smith. I did loads of that. Um, but basically I, I gave up ski racing pretty young. Um, and I went into coaching and I, you know, I became the youngest qualified um, ski trainer. So I used to assess ski instructors at 21 years of age. Wow. Um, so if you did an exam and they were, I was doing that with French, any, you know, we, I was training guys who were French skiers who wanted to pass their Euro test. I was Is your French them. pretty good then? It's not bad. Um, it's not as good now. Um, but I went out there and I lived out in Courcheval for six years and I, um, I trained out there, I had a French girlfriend. Uh -huh. So, 
you know, you've got no choice. You have to... You've got to speak the lingo. <laughs> you've got to you? speak the lingo. So how did you make the transition then? Because, you know, if you're a 21-year-old, you're earning a couple of quid, you're skiing all winter, you've got yep. a beautiful French girlfriend, yep. and then you come back here to build houses. That's... Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> how did that happen? Sort of, the, what happened is um, I, I kind of... I got... I knew by the time I was 22, I'd, I'd done winter and summer. Um, so I'd, I, I'd done... In the summer, I'd be doing Ludes out, working there, and I also worked on another glacier, which was Hinterturks, um in Austria, and I was earning great money. Um, and, and basically, um, I was then basically thought, I, I want to get out of skiing and have something that I can do full time, and that mm-hmm. was um, health club gym. So I, I qualified in that. Um, I, I, I done like my ACSM, which was a qualification, um, and I kind of knew that I wanted to find somewhere so I'd saved up um, and I basically kind of said to my mum and dad and by that time they they sold the nursing home they'd done really well I said to them look I'm going to need you to like lend me your house it's collateral all right um, you know I need any money just That's quite a big ask isn't it big ask yeah. yeah at the time I thought it of course of course they should um, <laughs> because I was mad but um I look back at it now and think, God, I don't know if I'd do it. Um, you know, I, I thought they're mad. But mum always said she never kind of doubted that, you know, she'd watched me kind of set goals and achieve them. And she kind of never really doubted me. But it was a hell of a thing to ask her to do. Yeah. Even more of a thing to do. But I found an old water pumping station in Charing. I bought it for 120,000 quid mm-hmm. in 97. Um, and probably spent about 150 grand doing it up put the best kit in it and then within a year and a half we had 1500 members it was making really good money Mm -hmm. very successful Um, I think we had uh, most health clubs would only retain maybe 50% of their members a year we were retaining 90% Um, we I knew every member yeah I was there constantly um, training them I had some really good coaches that were with me as well who wanted to help people get fitter and healthier. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a lot with GPs. We were doing a lot of GP referrals. We were doing a lot with people who, you know, had high blood pressure, diabetes, but years ago, you know. And uh, there's, a, there's a thread through all the things you keep talking about, of, of society kind of stuff and wanting to help people. So does that come from your mum? Because okay, she was a do. nurse. Yeah, I think it must do. Um, I've never really thought about it like that, but I guess, yeah, um, yeah. I guess um, I guess I do. I think as I've grown up, I've realised that if you give back, you get as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are there are loads of good things about giving. Not just you know, I think it helps me. Um, so you know, I think that by trying to give back to the areas in which we build, I think we get you know we we get something that you don't not a lot of other people would get. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, so I, I definitely think, yeah, that's probably definitely come from my mum. I mean, that's what she did all her life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if my mum had been around to go into a home, which she, which she wasn't, I would have put, I would have put her with my mum because my mum was so good with, you know, she, she made sure that everybody was so well looked after. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she, was, she ran an incredibly tight ship and it would have been, you know, I, I knew that she was already always incredibly proud of the care that she gave to people. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I that's, think that's, that's a good is. point. That's, yeah, well, I, I hope if she's looking down <laughs> from somewhere that she's found so. her son. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you had this fantastically successful gym. Yep. And then you decided what? To... I tell you what happened. I, 
what you st- I'm a worrier. Right. Okay, so if you're a worrier, when you have a crash, you worry one of the kids, something's going to happen to one of the kids. Mm-hmm. You also have, in any business that's got a lot of customers, you can keep, let's say I had 1,500 customers, I could keep 1,450 happy, 50 I couldn't. No, no, most people can just ignore them because mm-hmm. that you know those fifty people their way of communicating is to complain. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one woman asked me to put a water cooler in. It cost about eight hundred quid, so I put it in, and she she told me that the um, water was too cold. <laughs> I, I offered to you write. Can't a, win. Can I offered you? to write a check out for her because I said, look, I've, I've done my best. I can't, I can't make you happy. And she said to me, look, I'm really sorry. I just, I think it's my way of communicating. Uh-huh. Um, so I kind of, I wore myself out with, with people. Um, and we got an offer from a, a big nightclub chain called Luminar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to kind of balance themselves out by having a load of health clubs, not just be a nightclub chain. Yeah. So we, we basically sold to them. Um, and yeah, they rented the building off me for more money than I bought the entire building for. So it was that's an, a good deal. It's an amazing deal. Yeah, um, and did that, um, and then that operated in you know in a number of guises until probably the, they went pop. Uh, not because of the health clubs that was still profitable, but because of the nightclubs. Yeah, um, and that was probably I would say. I would say I'm trying to think when that that went. Um, I would say that went probably about six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to think how long probably 15 years they rented it mm-hmm. um, and yeah now it, I've turned it into um, a basically it's a, a load of apartments um, um, and the car park is turned into like a some business like a little business center mm-hmm. um, and yeah the apartments I still got so I've still kept the building mm-hmm. um, always will mm-hmm. um, and yeah that's like a kind of it's a lucky it's building. in your heart there is it's it a lucky building yeah. yeah that building in the last recession you know, got me through a few problems. And uh, yeah, it's been a lucky building for me. And when we did the refurb, we, we actually got shortlisted for refurbishment of the year. Um, so, you know, we, we did a really nice job on it. Do you watch programs like Grand Designs and things like that? Are you, are you interested yes. in that sort of stuff? Yes, yes, of course I do. I love them all. Um, sometimes, you know, you want to grab them out of the screen and talk to them. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I love it. Um, you know, I've, I think it's, as a, as a as a as a British people have a f- absolute fascination with property, uh-huh. um, and I think you know that's a healthy thing for me um, because I'm in that in that sphere. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's amazing um, how how much interest and how much kind of uh, how much passion there is. Totally. For well, I mean, I, so I've just been through that kind of approach. We bought a bungalow. And we took the roof off and we put a second story on it. And so we turned a three bedroom bungalow into a five bedroom house. Yeah. And I've done an awful lot of work on that physically myself. Um, so there's something enormously satisfying yeah, yeah, in great. creating your own yeah. thing. And you, you can physically stand back from it and look at it and go, I did that. <laughs> it's, well, a great, we, it's a great thing. We have very it? similar yeah. uh, ways of, uh, of making ourselves uh, happy. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I love doing that. Um, I think if, you know, we, we... So as somebody who's got a couple of quid and a development company, have you built your grand design? Now? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. And it, 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 it out of about 2,000 entrants, um, it came second 
um, in in a uh, we've won a load of awards of it. It won, I think, he got a reaver. So what is it? Paint else. paint a picture for me. Have you gone, you know, sort of Bond villain lair, no. or have you gone neo Georgian, or what, no, what direction no. have you gone? So basically, in? it was a barn. So what we did is we we did a barn, um, and it's very high. Um, so you know, floor to ceiling heights are probably three and a half four meters. Um, and it's, what I did is I kept the same shape of the barn that was there, mm -hmm. uh, put a concrete frame in so that I couldn't hear anything um, and it's never going to move. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the brickwork is Flemish Bond, which is brick, half brick. So mm -hmm. it's really nicely done, but it's not tried to pretend it's, it's old. The windows are pocket windows. They go in to the walls, which uh -huh. are a nightmare. I'd never do it again. <laughs> um, the architect who did it, I'd kill him. Um, and and the other thing we built it to is near passive house level um right. so to do that with pocket windows is like a nightmare but yeah i mean i'm really proud of it it's you know it's one of the most beautiful buildings i've ever built so yeah, yeah love it um but people have crashed outside it That's and you've not heard uh, no no we've we've been told and we, we, we oh, what driving past yeah is it like yeah, a proper it's, head turner there, right, there are there are many many crashes that are taken we, we've, <laughs> we've been told by the parish council that there are at least 12 crashes. could you make your building less beautiful that's, please that's the parish council we're, we're hilarious but yeah we've had loads of people crash outside it so, <laughs> yeah. they break and then someone else isn't you know, going into the back yeah oh wow so have you are you married? Have you got kids? Yep. Have you got family in that, in that beautiful house then? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, been married now for 12 years. Um, and um, yeah, I've got two kids. So I've got a seven-year-old and a and, uh, coming up 10-year-old. Yeah, so yeah, brilliant. Um, and my, my dad lives there with me as well. Um, so my dad, basically, um, we look after my dad and you know, we, we keep an eye on him now. And yeah, it's brilliant. Right, so you've created, you've created this space for you My own to... little commune. <laughs> is it a commune? I don't yeah, know. Bit of a, bit of a well, one. Yeah. I mean, people are motivated by all sorts of things, aren't they? As to why you should want to carry on doing stuff. You have made a few quid. You know, you're 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 a wealthy man. You could at any point just stop. Yep. So, what motivates you now to keep doing stuff? Because as a developer you may or may not have noticed that from time to time people are critical of developers yeah. <laughs> you, you you get an awful lot of stick from all sorts of you know people like the water cooler lady who wanted cold water and then found that the water was too cold as a developer people want to have certain things and then they don't, they don't want, want other things. in their backyard yeah. yeah um i don't know i mean i i you have to take it with a, a pinch um I remember a scheme in Preston I did, okay, where I moved Salvatore lorries mm -hmm. um, out of the village, okay? There were 800 lorry movements a week, okay? Um, multiple accidents, um, really serious highway safety issues, should never have been there, okay? Mm -hmm. Turned from being the centre of a farm into being, you know, the centre of a very, very successful logistics business. Mm -hmm. So, when I go to move it out, local shop, don't want me to do it. No one wants to back the scheme because they're frightened they'll lose trade. Mm -hmm. But really, what happened, shop doubles in size, looks really nice now. Uh, butchers are rammed, pub's still open. Um, and why, this is the funny bit. So the people who live in these houses, I remember when I got planning on the night, I got spat at um, by the objectors and, you know, threatened and all kinds of stuff. Um, and now what's happened is I took a lot of personal criticism and nastiness for getting planning on that. Now the people who live in those new houses 
I've set up a anti-housing group. So they live in houses that I got shouted at and spat mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. in order to get them, give them their, their place, their, mm -hmm. their safe place, mm -hmm. their castle. I, they now want to set up an anti-housing group because they don't want any more. To yeah. me, that just sums up Britain. Um, you know, if you look at how much, if you go over Britain in a helicopter or you go over Britain on Google, most of it's not built on by a mm. mile, mm. yeah? It's not densely populated at all, especially out here. And yet, you know, we've been expected, we, we've got a massive piece of infrastructure in HS1. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to have a few more houses. People need them for their sons and daughters to live. Mm. And yet, they don't want them near them. And so a lot, if you kind of, were, because we've sort of mentioned politics a couple of times, if you were... I don't know, which role would you like? Prime Minister, Home Secretary, whatever it would be. What, what would be the key rules that you would like to see brought in that would, would change things for the better in this country? I think that um, there needs to be an honest conversation about one building in areas that need places to be built. So if you looked at it, the highest house prices are in places like Sevenoaks. And the reason why is Sevenoaks has the worst housing delivery in Britain. Should have built 800 houses, 700 houses last year. How many did it build? 30. One affordable home, I think, it built last year. I mean, that, to me, is ridiculous. Mm, mm. Um, if those places should be made to look at their green belt um, and, and to actually appraise it again, because it mm. hasn't been appraised for probably 40 years, it needs to be looked at and places released so that more housing can be built. We need a bit more housing in those areas. How much? Not huge amounts, but, but you need to, to look at um, uh, those areas. I think... In places that have been lucky enough to have the benefits of infrastructure, mm. those places are going to have to accept a bit of development. And I think some of them do. And if you get Ashford, Ashford's accepted a lot of development and it's done very well out of it. The mm. town is changing, you know, um, and it's, you know, it's becoming a, a more exciting and more vibrant place to live than it was. Um, I mean, I remember giving out flyers around Ashford in 1997 and it wasn't like it is now. You know, it, it's, a, it's a far more prosperous place now than I started giving out flyers there. So the other side of the coin is protecting the environment and the countryside yep. that we have. Does that bother you? Are you, are you yeah. worried about that? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we're proposing on one of our schemes, Bimbury, which is in the AOMB. Um, that scheme there delivers highways, national highway safety betterment. So we're building, what we're looking at building, if we get planning, is, is a great separated junction. And that would enable you to shut off Scraggan Oak and shut off uh, the entranceway into KCAS or Kent Showground and also into the Aerodrome Business Park. So let's because a lot of people won't know where Bimbury is. It's on the A249. It's mm -hmm. on the A249. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the most dangerous stretches of roads in Kent. I think mm -hmm. they've had 394 accidents, number of fatalities in the last three years. Okay, mm -hmm. So you stop that. We can stop that immediately because you don't have cars trying to go in front of two sets of ongoing cars mm -hmm. Okay, or lorries. Um, and essentially, um, we've got something that is really special. Where are we building on? We're building on the old airfield. Mm -hmm. So you can't farm it, it's mm -hmm. full of concrete. Yeah. Um, and it's got a big uh, kind of uh, um, radar uh, hub in it, in the center of the field. The bit that's beautiful, which is further over in the valley, we've proposed to put a 140-acre park there. That's one of the biggest parks created in Kent's history. Okay, And that means that you'd be able to take your, your sons and daughters there. And that would be protected then? It would be protected. It wouldn't be mine. Mm -hmm. It would be given over to the Land Trust, which is a charity, mm -hmm. and they would run it. Um, and that would be in perpetuity for, for all time. So we create a massive, like Moat Park was, we create a massive park, stunning park, we give it over. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, do I feel bad about that? No, not at all. I feel what I'm doing is common sense. 
do I think you should build everywhere? No, we, we don't. I mean, we must get approached to buy landowners twice a day. Mm -hmm. How many do I do? Probably one a month. You know, so we're probably turning away, I would say 85, 90% of what we look at. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very little makes it through. Um, I've got to believe And do it. you do that as a, an, on a quality threshold then? Is that, is that the point? It's done on loads of things. It's done on sustainability. You know, is it sustainable? Um, it's done on whether we think we're affecting something uh, detrimentally in terms of, of views. Am I going to affect someone's view in a house? Sometimes yes. Would, can we work with people all the time? You know, most of the time we'll go around and say to people, look, do you want your garden to be three times the size? Okay, do you want, you know, do you want, where do you want the landscape buffer? And we mm -hmm. want to work with people. And we've mm -hmm. done it on a number of occasions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I would try and do it on every scheme that I get. Mm -hmm. um, because most of the schemes we do, you have enough land to be able to do it. Mm. We're not in sites that are really tight. Because the trouble is that an awful lot of modern developments, they end up putting on tiny, tiny houses. Yep. I can remember a few years ago going, looking around a house where you went into the, dining, the nominal dining room and we suddenly realised that if you actually put a table with chairs around it, you couldn't open the door to the kitchen. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing yeah. where the, the, the physical space of it is just not big enough yep. so is there not enough well we don't regulation to make sure that developers put in a minimum size standard those kind of things to make sure that, that you, that's you... come in i think you probably looked at a house you know that, that was pre that mm -hmm. um we also decide who we sell to i mean i only sell to really two or three companies because some of the companies out there i don't agree are very good so mm -hmm. i won't sell to them mm -hmm. Um, simple as that really mm. um, and you know I, 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 that's because I want to be able to look back at what's built there in five years and be mm. able to square it with myself mm. and if I can't do that then don't do it yeah. um, and that's cost me money I don't mind that um, you know I'd rather build something or get someone to, to, to partner with me that's going to build something decent so I think that most of the houses um, that, that we if we build them they're, they're oversized um, and I could show you, I can prove that to you mm -hmm. quite easily. Um, you know, uh, we, we, most of our developments are oversized. We're the biggest supplier of self-build plots in the county. So mm. we've supplied more than 100 people with their dream home. Their grand designs yeah, moment. We have, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We, you know, we, we've, we've, I think we've done a, a really great job there. Um, and, and I think that um, the houses that we're building as Quinn Homes, they're all, they all exceed uh, space standards that, that are imposed by, by different councils. So we, we, I know we're going to run out of time fairly, sh sh fairly shortly, but I guess what I wanted to, to sort of wrap up with, if we can, is just to give an idea of, of somebody who is a, a business person themselves or is maybe aspiring to, to have their own company. You've been there and seen it and done it. You've set up two or three different businesses yep. that have been successful in wildly different ways. What are the key bits of advice you would hand on to somebody else to say if you're going to do this you need to do this well i think um you you need to you need to one you need to be passionate about it um i was passionate about health clubs and i was passionate about building i knew that i was going to love building mm -hmm. um, because i loved building the health club i actually enjoyed building it more than i enjoyed running it okay so the first thing is passion that you love something the second thing is you need to read about it, okay? Um, I I'm not qualified, okay? But if you go and ask those guys down there, I can pull all of them apart. Why? I've read every single report that they've written, mm -hmm. 
carefully. Mm-hmm. And each one I've learned different things from. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be passionate. You've got to read about what you want to, you want to, you're going to go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah? You need to employ people then or work with people who you think are better than you. Um, and I think that I've been lucky enough. That's quite a difficult one for some people, isn't it? It is, but I think that, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to work with people who have been in another league from what me. And, and I think that um, I've learned so much from them. You know, when I look back. But when you say in another league, in what, in what way? Well, well, Academically? No, not just that. I mean, when I started working, the people that I've worked with, I've worked with a guy called George Wilson. He's a big commercial developer around this area. He was amazing. Um, but, but, but again, I learned from him a different skill set from someone like Mark Sheardown, who again is an incredibly successful developer around here. Um, then Tony Pidgeley, um, you know, Tony uh, gave me a lot of advice. I met Tony a number of times. He, he was basically the uh, chairman of Barclay, mm-hmm. learned loads off him. Steve Morgan uh, created um, Red Row. Um, if you look at Steve, I think he gave away 200 million pounds in the last year. Um, you know, the guy is trying to give away money quicker than he ever made it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've learned loads from all of them. Um, and I think that it's important that you, you can do that. Um, it's important when you get a bit of success, you don't suddenly think you can't learn anymore mm-hmm. or you've made it, I mm-hmm. think, because I think very quickly that will lead to, that will lead to you making mistakes that you might not be able to pull out of. Um, because a lot of people who aren't in the business world, maybe look at business people and think, you've got to be a bastard to succeed. No. You've got to be prepared to turn people over. You've got to you know, go in hard. And all of the stuff that we've been talking about has been 180 degrees opposite to that. I think it's the opposite. I'll tell you why I think I've succeeded. I've had people, subcontractors, when someone's gone bust on them, okay? And there are loads of build companies. Coombs went bust this week. Cardi's, Barwick's, all of them, yeah? Um, I've had guys go, go, someone go bust on them, they lose 50,000 quid, they're going to lose their own. I've paid them. I've stopped them losing their own. What does that do? That, that gets me loyalty. He gets two calls asking to go to a site, who's he going to go and help? The bloke who paid him three months early in order that he didn't lose his house or the bloke he doesn't know. Um, I think that the sports clubs, when I go to another sports club and say, I'm going to build this for you, they go and talk to the people in Herne Bay. What do you think they say to them? Mm. Yeah, this bloke had to do this and he did this. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the opposite. I think in business, if you do what you say you're going to do, okay, um, and you are straightforward, um, but at the same time, if people decide that they want to vary what they promised you, then, then you have to say to them, well, there are either consequences to that, I either won't work with you, or I'm going to change the terms of which this is in that to me is how business works. Just be straight and honest. You've got to do what you, yeah, do. I, I don't, I've never had a problem ringing somebody up and telling them, look, you turned up to my site two months late, I'm going to pay you two months late. It's obviously got a problem with that. Mm. Yeah, and mm. I'll ring them up and ask them. Um, and if they've got a problem with it, don't turn up to my site, you know? Um, so I think that you've got to be honest. And I think you've also, you've got to be fair, but firm. Um, and that doesn't mean being bad. Um, I think the opposite. Um, you know, I think that um, I've, I've felt that the most I've got from it is by giving. Um, and, and that's what I felt. And that's in staff. Um, you know, I've, I've, one of the best stories I've got is she started off as my cleaner and she's now uh, basically 
runs the finances of this company. She's a chartered accountant. Fantastic. Okay. So I paid for her to do that. She just built her dream home. Okay. I lent her the land. I helped her out. Everyone did the work for her because she wouldn't sign their invoice off probably because she controls the finances. <laughs> so she got it built. But she's just, you know, basically set herself up for life. Uh-huh. And I'm proud and of her. And that makes you feel good. Of course good. it does. And, you know, also that gives you a loyalty and a, you know, that gives you a feeling that you just cannot get. I'm so proud of her. I think mm. it's amazing to go from someone who was earning, I don't know, you know, to, to where she is now. She's done that. I haven't done it. Yeah. Yeah. She's made me want to help her. Well, you know? I think it's a, it's a very good note to finish on. Um, Mark Quinn, it's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. Are you, are, you a, are you a happy guy in yourself? Are you happy with the world? Love it. Yeah, I have days the same as you and anyone. Um, but on the whole, yeah, I feel very lucky. I've got a, really, I've got a great family. I've got good, good friends, great bunch, great team there. Yeah, I am a happy person. Yeah. Excellent. Mark Quinn, thank you very much. Brilliant. good stuff there we go mark quinn my first guest on the all bases covered podcast hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i'd appreciate your feedback and comments if you go to my new website wildrovermedia.com you can get in touch via the email link there rob smith at wildrovermedia.com the website is i have to admit pretty basic at the moment but you know you've got to start somewhere haven't you Anyway, that's it from me for the moment. So until next time, all the best.